You're listening to the official podcast of Oasis Community Church, where everybody's welcome, nobody's perfect, and anything's possible. If you'd like to learn more about Oasis, request prayer, or get in touch with a pastor, visit our website at oasischurch.org. Enjoy the podcast. Well, good morning, everyone. Man, it is great to see you. And uh, welcome, welcome to our Easter Sunday morning service. Uh, Welcome especially to those of you who are online, uh, on Facebook or YouTube or Twitter or what have you. We're delighted that you're with us today. Um, We miss you and we look forward to getting to see you in person. And uh, we're getting close. We're getting really close. We're almost almost past all of this stuff. Um, I got my second vaccine a week ago today, so I'm getting close. Yeah. Yeah, I'm going to be fully fully vaccinated here in just a little bit. Um, so this is something that, that uh, preachers love to say, and this is the Sunday we get to say it. And we, we've already said it before, but let me say it again. Christ is risen. Listen, my friends, we do not worship an empty tomb. We worship a risen Savior. The death of Jesus was not a defeat that was vindicated by the resurrection on Easter Sunday morning. It was a victory that was revealed by the resurrection. We don't simply celebrate this one day as Christians. We celebrate all three days, Good Friday, Holy Saturday, and Easter Sunday morning. Today, as we reflect on these four passages that we've listened to already, the passage from John, from Acts, from 1 Corinthians, and from Isaiah, we hear a story, a story of the resurrection, a story first told by Mary Magdalene when she tells Peter. And then Peter shares that story with Cornelius and his whole household. And at some point along the way, Paul had heard the story, and he now shares that story with the Corinthians. And someone else shared it with someone else who shared it with someone else. And eventually it has come down to us. And so now we have received this good news as well. And so this is the story we want to tell. And in in brief form, we'll kind of go through each of these. And we'll start with Mary Magdalene. Now Mary Magdalene is the first evangelist. She's the first to tell people of the resurrection of the Lord. She's the first to share that good news. Now, maybe that's a little bit of an unexpected character, right? We might expect it, it to have been Jesus himself or, um, or Peter or James or John. But it's Mary. Now, there's this picture of Mary. It's an old icon. And it shows her telling the good news to the 12. So I use this as the, I think it's called wallpaper, Is it wallpaper on my Twitter account? Not the little picture, but the big one? Yeah, thanks. I'm just like so, so tech savvy. But I I have this on the wallpaper of my Twitter account because I, I want to be reminded that this isn't something that I've just done. This is something that I've received. And I've received it from others. And we've all, at some point, if we trace it back, received it from Mary. Now, what's interesting about The telling of this story is as Mary came to the tomb, there was no expectation that Jesus was going to be raised. She's going to the tomb and she sees that the stone has been rolled away 
And she doesn't go in to look. She runs and finds Peter and the beloved disciple and tells them. And then they run, right? They come to the tomb and they look in. And eventually Mary will look in and the tomb's going to be empty. But even when she sees the empty tomb, her, her guess as, as to what has happened is not that he's been resurrected. Her guess as to what hap has happened is that somebody has stolen his body. Because that's exactly what you would expect. I mean, who could anticipate a resurrection? It even says this. We, we heard it read earlier, but it's in verse 9 of chapter 20. I think it's the most striking piece of information from this passage from the Gospel of John. It says that the beloved disciple saw the empty tomb and he believed. For as yet they did not understand the scripture that he must rise from the dead. But nevertheless, she eventually does see the risen Lord. She mistakes him as a gardener. And she has this conversation with him. And when he calls her by name, she realizes who he is. He says, Mary. And she says, teacher. And then he says, now go and tell. And that's exactly what she does. She goes and tells. And what she tells is that Jesus has ascended to the Father. Not just his Father, but our Father. Which is why when we pray the Lord's Prayer, our Father, who art in heaven. We're praying this prayer with each other. A prayer that is enabled for us to pray because of the person of Jesus Christ. The next story, if we fast forward, we're in the book of Acts. And now it's Peter, right? So Peter has heard from Mary that there's an empty tomb. He's gone and seen the empty tomb himself. And then at a later point, he's heard from Mary, who saw the risen Lord, that Jesus is risen and he's ascending to the Father. And so now we have Peter. And Peter comes and... Um, We've heard earlier things in, in the book of Acts. We've heard about Peter's kind of keynote address at the day of Pentecost. An amazing time. Lots of people are converted. And Peter, let me, let me fill in a little bit of the backstory here. Uh, Peter has gone with John up to Samaria and they've laid their hands on the Samaritans and they received the Spirit. And now he's made his way down to Joppa, uh, which is along the coast. And he's having this vision that he should eat these things that are kind of unkosher. And he's like, no, 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 I don't do that. And then the voice in the vision says, don't call unclean what I've called clean, which is an interesting statement. A knock then comes at the door and it's folks from Cornelius, who's a Roman centurion, like a, a, a senior member of the Roman military. And so Peter goes with them and he's preaching the gospel here in Acts 10. Now, Pentecostals like me, we love this passage in Acts 10 because it says that when Peter preached, he laid his hands on them and they received the spirit and spoke in tongues. But that particular part of the story is not in the passage that we read today. What we read today, and I think this is, this is the key part to what's happening. It's verse 39 and 40. It says this, Peter's saying to Cornelius and his household, we are witnesses to all that he did both in Judea and in Jerusalem. 
they put him to death by hanging him on a tree. But God raised him on the third day and allowed him to appear. This is part of the story that I'm afraid we've often told wrongly. Now, how is it that of all things that the church might have gotten this part of the story wrong? Sometimes we tell the story as though God is responsible for Jesus' death, like as though God killed Jesus. But that's not what it says here. In about five other places in Acts, in addition to this place, we're told that the death of Jesus is the responsibility of someone else. They crucified him. God's action in the story is the resurrection. Right? We put Jesus to death. God raises him from the dead. There's this quote from, from, from Pastor Brian Zahn I want to read to you. He says this, The cross is not the appeasement of an angry retributive God. The cross is not where Jesus saves us from God, but where Jesus reveals God as Savior. The cross is not what God inflicts upon Jesus in order to forgive, but what God in Christ endures as he forgives. The cross is where the sin of the world coalesced into the hideous singularity so that it might be forgiven in mass. The cross is where the world violently sinned its sins in the body of the Son of God and where he absorbed it all, praying, Father, forgive them. The cross is both ugly and beautiful. It is as ugly as human sin and as beautiful as divine love. But in the end, love and beauty win. Paul says this in another place. It's in uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 5. He says that Christ became sin for us so that in his death on the cross, not only has the power of sin died, but the power of death itself has died. Because the ultimate enemy of, of creation is not just the sins that we commit, and they are serious. And Jesus' sacrifice and Jesus' death does solve this issue. But it also solves the very issue of death itself. That the power of death is what dies on the cross. And that when Jesus is resurrected, it is overcoming sin and death. I, I see my friend uh, here with us this morning, uh, Trey. Trey tweeted this week, and I, and I loved it. I'm going to share it. I'm going to share it if it's okay. He said this, On the cross, two gods died. The God we thought we knew, and the God revealed in Christ. One will rise again on Sunday. And the one who rises again on Sunday is, is Jesus. Like, that is. If we know who God is, we look to Jesus Christ. He is the truest and the fullest revelation of who God is. In fact, our Easter series that we're going to launch into starting next week is called A More Christ-Like God. I'll say that again. A More Christ-Like God. I really want all of you, whether you're here or whether you're attending virtually, to tune in or to attend these next six weeks because it's going to be formative, I think, for all of us to get a true glimpse of who God is. So 
This, um, this picture, just real quickly, is from Bernardo Calavino. And, and Peter is the one in the middle. And obviously, this is, this is from a different time period. This is not kind of set in, in, the, in, the, in the Middle East or in the first century. But it shows us the extent as this gospel is being spread, right? So it starts with Mary finding out, and she's told Peter and John. And now, here later, Peter has told Cornelius. And then we're going to find out that others have heard, and amongst those others who have heard is none other than the Apostle Paul. So this is our third text. Um, this is the text that was read uh, to first to we call it 1 Corinthians, Paul's letter to the church at Corinth. And he's talking about the resurrection. And what I love about it is Paul, Paul tells us up front, I'm going to give to you what we have received. And then he says this. He says, Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures. And that he was buried and that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures. I'll say that again. Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures. And that he was buried and that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures. Now, let me get just a little technical just for a minute. When Paul, and Paul writes a lot, right? So 13 of the 27 New Testament books bear his name. And when Paul writes... He likes to cite what we call the Old Testament. But typically when he does so, he'll open up what he wants to say by saying the prophet Isaiah says this, or the Psalms say this, or the law says that, right? But here, this is a different formula. He makes a statement and then he ends with this more generic according to the scriptures. So for our college student crowd, he didn't have like MLA or APA or Turabian, right? But he had, a, he had his own way of kind of citing his sources. Except this little bit doesn't follow that same document, documentary style. What's different about it? Well, Paul tells us why it's different. He doesn't say, I've got good news for you. He doesn't say, I have new news for you. He says, I'm giving to you what was passed down to me. What does that mean? Well, this is what had been passed down. Mary had shown up at an empty tomb and she had heard from an angel. And then she saw the risen Lord herself and went and told Peter and John. Peter, at a later point, would go then and tell Cornelius and his whole house. And then some would tell others who would tell others. And now Peter, now Paul, excuse me, now Paul is telling the Corinthians, look, we didn't make this stuff up. It was handed to us and now we're handing it on. And he quotes this. This is perhaps the earliest Christian confession, a common confession, the thing that they would be taught to say. Like it's a really early Christian creed. Christ died for our sins in accordance to the scriptures. He was buried and he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures. I have this picture of Paul and it kind of places him in context of all these other biblical writers. Now, I think it's beautiful and I love this one, but you might be able to note pretty quickly, this is not an ancient one, right? Because everybody's speaking in English, <laughs> right? And Paul and Isaiah and the others didn't do that. 
I had, a, I had a dear uncle who was really convinced. He wasn't much of a churchgoer, actually, but he was very committed to the King James, which is funny. He didn't, didn't ever go to church, but he thought if you did go to church, you should have to read the King James. And I was a really cheeky teenager. And you might think I'm a cheeky adult. I'm not sure. But I, just, just imagine me as a teenage boy. <laughs> And so we're sitting there at a breakfast table one day and he's ranting and raving and I'm just egging him on, right? And I'm like, yeah, Uncle Dave, if the King James is good enough for, for Peter and John, it's good enough for me. And he said, that's right. <laughs> of course, you know, English hadn't been invented yet. <laughs> so anyway, I still like the picture, nevertheless. But when we come to the table every week, as we will here in just a few minutes, we profess the mystery of the faith, that Christ has died, that Christ is risen, and that Christ will come again. Do you know where we get that from? We get that from 1 Corinthians 15. We say what Paul taught us to say, and Paul says he didn't come up with it, he was taught it. And he was taught it because the faith has been handed down. People bore witness to the resurrected Lord, particularly Mary and John and James and Peter and Paul and down now to us. And so we come to our fourth and our final passage of Scripture. And perhaps ironically, it doesn't even come from the New Testament. This isn't the Gospel of John telling us about Mary going to the tomb this isn't the book of Acts telling us about Peter kind of reaching out beyond the, the ethnic and social bounds of the faith, reaching out to different people groups like the Roman centurion Cornelius and his household. This, is, this isn't Paul kind of writing to the church in Corinth. This is from hundreds and hundreds of years before that. The prophet Isaiah. Here's a picture of Isaiah, too. I didn't want to leave him out. Um, and again, it's made to look like an old icon, but it's not particularly old. You notice the words are again in English. But Isaiah was a Hebrew prophet who dates, you know, somewhere around six to seven hundred years before Jesus. And in his, in his book, Isaiah, we found this, this passage that was read today that talks about how things will finally come to an end. This is, this is a classic case of foreshadowing. So we're in the midst of it and things get hard. Things were hard for, for the ancient Israelites that, that Isaiah was prophesying to. They experienced all sorts of troubles. All sorts of troubles that Get, we get told about in the book of Revelation, you know, that seem to cycle around and again and again. There's wars. There's rumors of wars. There's economic disasters. There's pandemics. That's an interesting one. You know, I used to read over that, the reference to kind of pandemics in Isaiah and Revelation because I thought, ah, I wonder what that is. I don't wonder what that is no more. Right? There's tough times. People die. People suffer physically and economically. But that's not the end of the story. Because Isaiah said that God will come to his holy mountain and he will prepare a table for us, for all of us, 
for all the nations to come. They're all invited to Mount Zion by God. And God is going to overshadow death. He's going to resolve their issues. It says this. This is one, one part of that passage that was read earlier. This is verse 7. Speaking of God, it says, And he will destroy on this mountain the shroud that is cast over all peoples, the sheet that is spread over all nations, for he will swallow up death forever. I love that. The promise is that God's going to come and he's just not going to, Jesus didn't just die so I wouldn't cheat on my wife or on my taxes. Jesus, Jesus died to give us the fullness of life. Jesus died so that everything could change. Jesus died so the sick won't have to be sick and the hungry won't have to be hungry. Jesus died so that we won't have to be divided over things like race or nationality or politics. And we all know that, we all know that we've suffered. That this year has been a horrific year. Last year at this time, I think I was wearing this exact same suit. This is my Sunday, our Easter Sunday costume, I guess. Except I was wearing it in my living room, standing in front of a bookcase, preaching at the backside of my phone. So I realized we're not quite there yet, but man, we're getting close. And again, for those of you who are tuning in and you're not, you're not been able to get out yet, know this, I love you and I miss you and you are not forgotten. And for those of you who perhaps haven't been back, you, you made it back today, but you haven't been back yet, welcome back. For this is the church. It's the Lord's church. Oasis belongs to him. It's to be a safe place, a place for nourishment, a place for, for water in the desert. Oasis Community Church can be like a rehearsal for that time when God will come to Zion where he will make a table for us where he will forgive our sins where he will even overcome that which cast its shroud over all peoples and spread over all nations where he will swallow up death itself and that's what we celebrate in the resurrection. We hope you were blessed by today's podcast. If you liked what you heard and want to support us, you can do so by subscribing wherever you listen to your podcasts. You can leave us a review on iTunes, and if you want to contribute to Oasis financially, you can go to oasischurch.org. May the Lord bless you and keep you, and may God's face shine upon you and give you peace. Amen.